It's June here at Monticello, and it's a beautiful time of year to be outside before it gets hot and humid. This month, you can see roses, purple coneflower, and English lavender in the flowering catalpa tree on the mountaintop. In the vegetable garden, we're harvesting strawberries, radishes, cabbage, kale, broccoli, Swiss chard, lettuce, and peas. This is A Rich Spot of Earth, a podcast about gardening and the natural world. I'm Michael Tricomi, interim manager and curator of historic gardens at Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home in Albemarle County, Virginia. Today, we're going to talk about vining plants, self-sowing annuals, and trees that flower in the summer. We're also going to tackle a less pleasant topic, weeds and what to do about them. Let's start with flowers. Jefferson grew quite a few climbers and ramblers. I recently sat down with curator of plants Peggy Cornett and flower gardener Debbie Donnelly to talk about them. This week, I have been really busy putting up structures for the vines. We have cypress vine, balsam pear, and cup and saucer vine, and... Balsam apple. Balsam apple is a vine that Jefferson had. It's a very pretty vine, has a small yellow flower, and then produces a fruit that's brown and bright orangey. Like and warty. Warty. (laughs) It needs to be a fairly substantial trellis because they get quite large and heavy with all the fruit. But when visitors that are familiar with it and grew up with it, they're just ecstatic to find it here. It's from Asia, and when we get visitors from China, for example, they recognize it immediately. It's called bitter melon. Bitter melon, yep. And the balsam apple makes the reddish fruit, and then the balsam pear makes a long yellow, almost like a big banana. Bumpy cucumber is what I think of. And the seeds are really interesting, too, the pattern on the seed itself. They're brilliant red Mm -hmm. and gelatinous. Yeah. (laughs) And they're very sweet. The seed will pop open in your hand when it's ripe. It just explodes. And we used to leave them on the ground because it's hard to get that sticky coating off of it. And the ants will clean it off for you. And then you have perfectly clean seeds. The genus name is Momordica. And the root of that is to gnaw. And if you look at the seeds, it looks like something has been munching around the edges of it. So that's how I got that name. Momordica balsamina is the balsam apple, and Carantia is the balsam pear. And you can eat them, but you have to pick them when they're green and saute them, and they're still quite bitter. I didn't realize you're supposed to eat them uh, sautéed and green, Mm. and I tried them when they were nice and plump and lush and orange, and it's Almost like a persimmon, it just turns Turns your your mouth mouth out. (laughs) Inside out. (laughs) I won't do that again. Are you going to plant the caracalla bean this year? It's planted with the cup and saucer vine because last year I just had cup and saucer vine planted there and the guides really missed the scent of the caracalla wafting up to the terrace. So I put a mixture this year. That's going to be nice. It'll be a while before they start to bloom, but once they bloom, they will continually bloom. And the cypress vine is a type of morning glory. It's an unusual morning glory. It has very ferny-like foliage, and the flowers are like little firecrackers. They're red, star-shaped flowers. And the hummingbirds love them. They love them. I try to plant that near where Thomas Jefferson speaks, so that while the visitors are listening to him, they can also watch the hummingbirds flit by. 
But I also planted zinnias there for the same reason, because the zinnia elegans, which is a species zinnia, really attracts butterflies. And so I thought that would be fun to have butterflies flying around all the visitors. Peggy and Debbie mentioned the caracalla bean. Jefferson proclaimed it to be the most beautiful bean in the world. It's also called snail flower because its flowers, which are purplish blue and white, spiral like a snail shell. As Debbie noted, it smells incredible. Now let's move on to some other flowers that are starting to bloom. There's a lot of annuals that are self-seeding for the summer. Texas sage and the broalia. They are all appearing. They're very small right now, but that's coming in. And the black-eyed Susans are self-sowing, which are not annuals, but they do self-sow as well. And marigolds, yeah. I haven't seen any coming up yet, but they will. Same with the zinnias. So if you just pay attention to what's coming out of the ground and you know your weeds, you can weed the weeds out and leave the flowers in. The whole garden can be self-sown and it can all be annuals. People don't realize that they'll come back every year if you let them go to seed. Of course, you can't mulch. It's also good to scratch the soil a little bit in the spring so they have a nice bed to grow in. Another beautiful flower that really amazed me, Michael, you had planted radishes down in the production mm, garden for yes. the pepper plants. And that bloomed with a beautiful white flower. It was just a whole field of white flowers. And it was radishes as a cover crop. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. It actually held up pretty well as a cut flower. They cut some, put them in a vase, and they lasted for quite a while. But it's a common cover crop. There are forage radishes and tillage radishes. They get very long. They go very deep into the soil and just create these pockets. And so when you till it with the tractor, it just breaks it all up and adds nice organic matter back in. That brings us to the vegetable garden, where we've been preparing for summer vines as well. We've been setting up teepees and poles for our climbing beans. They can range from about seven feet to about 10 feet tall. We'll be direct sowing all of our beans so that they can climb up and be supported by those structures. We'll start to see a lot of different elevations and changes in height in the garden. You can smell the strawberries from Mulberry Row. It's really, really powerful, the scent. Jefferson recorded alpine, chili, the Chilean strawberry, white strawberries, and then scarlet as well. So a few different strawberry varieties were grown. And the chili strawberry was part of the parentage of our modern strawberries, and it's native to the Chilean mountains. And it's a larger berry. And when it crossed with the smaller alpine strawberries, that's how they started selecting the modern strawberry that we know today. And they're producing very, very many this year. They're even in our cafe offerings, I believe now. Yes, we gave some strawberries to the chef. He used them as a garnish, used them in some salads. So that was really exciting. I saw a family down there sampling. They were all huddled together and trying out the strawberries. I'm sure it's a moment they'll remember. There's so many of them and they take so long to pick that it's nice to be able to stroll through the garden and taste one of the strawberries that, that are growing there. It's a good year for strawberries. I have some regular strawberries at home and it's incredible how good they are. Mine yeah. are doing well at home too. And I've heard from several others that theirs are, it's just the right conditions. I think the temperature and the rain. This month, we wanted to tackle something that just about every gardener struggles with, weeds. 
they always say a weed is a plant out of place, but the concept of weeds nowadays is very different than it was for Jefferson. And apparently a lot of plants that were considered weeds in his day are really just native plants like the elderberry and poke. And they can be very rambunctious in the landscape, but they're not invasive plants or alien plants from another location. One of the weeds that he mentioned in the notes on the state of Virginia was Jamestown weed or Jimson weed. He actually listed that under the medicinal category. <laughs> it's a famous story about how the early settlers there at Jamestown were eating the seed of the Jimson weed, which is hallucinogenic. And apparently people came and found people up in the trees because they were hallucinating. It was really probably really scary. And so it got the name Jamestown weed. The Latin name is Datura stramonium. It's native to Central America, but has spread northwards as far as New England. It's also called thorn apple because it has a large green seed capsule covered with spikes. It was traditionally used as a painkiller, but all parts of the plant contain dangerous levels of hallucinogens. But other plants that in Jefferson's day that we still consider weeds like dandelion and burdock and thistle were from Europe. They came here with the early settlers who brought crops and some weeds just came in and in the ballast that was in the ship that they dump out on the shore when they landed and it might have a lot of weeds in it. Didn't some of them come as food crops oh, as absolutely. well? Oh, absolutely. Like the garlic mustard, mm -hmm. which is everywhere. I know Peggy pulls it all the time when we take walks. She'll just yank it up <laughs> as she goes. Yeah, it grows in our forest, which is unfortunate. He also mentioned clivers or goosegrass. Yeah. Gallium spurium, which today we refer to as false cleavers. I was just pulling them out in the garden today, so they're quite abundant. They're still here. They're still here. <laughs> but apparently Jefferson was planting crabgrass in his fields, which now we all hate crabgrass. He also planted poison ivy, didn't he? He considered it an ornamental vine. He also listed what we know as Virginia creeper under yeah. ornamental as well. He mm -hmm. just called it ivy. Virginia creeper is beautiful. It's just very rambunctious. In the fall, it's spectacular. There's a lot of vines now that we consider invasive plants because they smother the trees and they strangle them. Bittersweet and chocolate vine, even wisteria. How about kudzu? <laughs> Horseland vine, kudzu, those are Asian species. They weren't around in Jefferson's day, and they're a real problem in our forests especially and on the roadside. I had a lot of English ivy. English climb ivy. Climb up a hemlock tree at my house. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, we found if you cut it at a certain level, the rest of the vine will mm -hmm. die off. But it was strangling that poor hemlock for quite a while. There was a lot of that here at Monticello a number of years ago. And we were able to, you know, sever the root at the base of the tree. And you just want to let it die on the tree. You don't want to try to pull it off because it can damage the bark of the trees. It'll fall off eventually. But there are a couple of species that are in our landscape here that Jefferson really liked that are considered quite weedy in other parts of the country, such as the Scotch broom. But he wanted to have labyrinths of broom at Monticello, and they're quite showy, but they don't tend to have a long life here in this part of the country, but on the West Coast in Oregon and Washington, it's a real problem. Some of the plants that we grow, people are amazed that we're growing them because where they come from, say Florida, lantana is considered just terrible. And same with the cypress vine. Even the china berry is considered weedy in the south. It's a little bit out of its natural zone here in Virginia. But Jefferson planted that in the grove. He called it the pride of China, the china berry. 
Like Peggy said, a weed is a plant out of place. So how do you deal with weeds? Jefferson didn't have chemical weed killers, and we try to follow traditional gardening methods, so we don't use a lot of chemicals either. Mostly I just hand pull them. If you get the weeds out before it forms seeds, then you're halfway through the battle. One of our wonderful volunteers has an extensive garden, and she has just been really adamant about getting her weeds out before they go to seed. And now, after three years, she hardly weeds in her garden at all. She uses mulch, but she's basically eliminated her weeding problem. And another thing, too, is to not leave a lot of bare ground. Exactly. plants grow. If you have a desirable plant, to let that cover the ground, it really makes a huge difference. Plant them thickly. Thickly, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) One of the ways we try to suppress weeds is through the use of cover crops, because then after you till it in, especially wheat and rye, it has a lot of mass to it. It does create sort of a mulch layer as well, and it helps deter other weeds from coming up. A lot of home gardeners use mulch to suppress weeds. A little bit is fine, but if you lay it down too thickly, you can create problems. People need to understand how to use mulch. You see so much of the time what's called in the trade mulch volcanoes, where they'll mulch right up to the trees, and that's a very bad practice because it does allow a place for insects to go. You should have your mulch pulled back like two inches, three inches from the base of your trees. It can really retain moisture as well. So that damp environment is usually not good for a lot of reasons. If you see the mulch Mulch volcanoes, volcanoes. pull the mulch back and you'll see how the bark has changed under there. Mm -hmm. And it's decaying and Mm -hmm. it's not a good, healthy situation. You do want to pull it away so that you still see that root flare going into the ground and no more than two inches of mulch. And really the best thing on a tree is to mulch all the way out to the drip line if you can. The other problem with heavy mulch is that it attracts voles. Moles like to tunnel through it and the voles come in and you get a real problem with that. Right. I use it around gardenia and I use it in the rose beds because it does help prevent black spot because it's soil borne and the rain If there's mulch there, it doesn't splash on the leaves. But even that is a very thin layer. But I don't believe, for the most part, Jefferson Mm -hmm. used mulch. so We don't have any record of that, yeah. So I just weed, and then I weed some more. And we don't (laughs) do it in the vegetable garden either, really. We've mulched around some of our perennial herbs just to keep some of the weeds down around them. But again, very lightly. And it also can help to overwinter certain things like our artichokes. We did add some mulch in there as well because they can be a tender perennial. And then you mentioned roses. It's similar for tomatoes too. You want to make sure that soil doesn't splash up on the leaves. Usually a straw mulch or grass clippings under them. That's typically a good idea. Did you use pine needles at one point around the strawberries? We did. Yes. Yeah. They like the acidic nature of the needles. So we put pine needles around our newly planted white strawberries. Yes. Which are very sweet. They're very sweet. Let's hear from some recent Monticello visitors. Hi, my name's Paul, and it's my first time at Monticello, and so far enjoying the trip. Very uh, emotional. My name's Peck. I'm his sister. He's the history buff. He could tell us more about Jefferson than they have on all these plaques. But it's our first time to Monticello. It's beautiful. 
Now it's time to talk about a few trees and shrubs that flower in the summer. For that, our horticulturist, Robert Dowell, joined Peggy. They begin with the golden rain tree, which has special significance here at Monticello. The scientific name is Coletaria paniculata, and it is the golden rain tree is how it's known to most folks. It is native to East Asia, Japan, the Koreas, and Northern China. It's generally a small to medium stature tree. Mature height might be somewhere between 30 and 40 feet and about as wide. And it gets the name Golden Rain because it has a incredibly showy bloom of yellow flowers in midsummer in our climate. It's like a cluster of little flowers. Yeah, a panicle is a long cluster of flowers, like a giant tassel. And lots of different trees have panicles. And the Golden Rain tree is one of the showiest ones. And we're very fond of it because Jefferson received seed of this tree from his friend Madame de Tesse. And there's a wonderful history about it because it was first introduced from... Asia to the Botanic Garden in Paris, and and so we believe that Madame de Tesse, Jefferson's friend, who's had a, an incredible estate outside of Paris, sent Jefferson seed, and he wrote back to her in 1811 saying that, since I had the pleasure of writing to you, I have to acknowledge the receipt of the seeds of the Calvertaria, one of which has germinated and is now growing. I cherish it with particular attention as it daily reminds me of the friendship with which you have honored me. And this kind of botanical friendship was really carried on by plant exchange. People were writing letters and sending plants and seeds, sometimes across the Atlantic. And sometimes Jefferson would be writing to someone who had already died, but he wouldn't know it for a couple of years. And so that was the case with Madame de Tesse when later he sent her seeds of the snowberry that had just been brought back from the West by Lewis and Clark. By the time that the snowberry reached her, she had already passed away. But the golden rain tree, it's believed now that Jefferson was probably the first American to cultivate this plant from Asia in our country. The seeds will germinate pretty readily, but it's not airborne. It's a heavy, round seed, so it's not invasive like an ailanthus tree, for example. In some parts of the United States, it is considered invasive, but here it's just a beautiful ornamental. When they flower, it's really glorious. And the other thing that's, that's interesting about the golden rain tree is that most flowering trees flower in the spring. And here we've got one that is very showy in the middle of the summer. And horticulturally, it's a very adaptable tree. It's actually a good street tree because it's very tolerant of a wide range of conditions. It prefers full sun, but it can tolerate part shade. It can take heavy clays to loams to sandier soils, acid to alkaline. So it's very useful in that regard. And the leaves of the golden rain tree are what's called pinnately compound, which means instead of one leaf, you have a long rachis, which is a long center vein, and then along that vein are the individual leaflets. And other native trees that we have, you'll see in the woods commonly have this feature, like walnuts, hickories, hickories ash. Ash, (laughs) right, yeah. But the the golden rain tree has that feature as well as the large panicle flowers. The seed pods are interesting, too. They're round seeds that are enclosed by a papery capsule. Yeah, it almost resembles an oriental lantern in a way. Yeah, very much. Some people describe it like that. The trees that are still growing at Monticello, we believe, are descendants from ones that Jefferson had planted when he sowed that first one germinated in a box outside the greenhouse. (laughs) 
Robert and Peggy also discussed the summer flowering shrub, Calmia latifolia, or mountain laurel. It's native all across the eastern United States. It's in the Ericaceae family, which is the blueberry rhododendron family. They are acid-loving. When you see these plants in the landscape, you've got acidic soil in a pH range, usually five, sometimes below five. The flowers are very distinctive. They always remind me of cake decorations. Just the way they look and the way they burst out is very unique and very eye-catching because this time of year, as Peggy was mentioning, most trees and shrubs are done blooming. March and April are really the big months for blooming woody plants in Virginia. So now the forest looks drab green, but the calmias and then the rhododendrons that follow soon after them are real eye-popping. And they can look pinkish purple at first, but then they fade almost to, to a white. white. They're not as happy here on this mountain because Monticello's soil is not acidic enough. And they grow in the woods near. So they're very close. Yeah, generally they prefer more gravelly, definitely acidic soils. And so you'll find them in greater abundance in the mountains of Virginia, like towards where I live in Augusta County. It's your classic uh, oak heath forest is the term they use for it, where the overstory is primarily oaks and a few other species like sweet birch or hickory. And the understory is primarily calmias, rhododendrons, blueberries, yeah. and then even smaller ground cover plants like galteria procumbens. Oh, yeah. you the, have that there? Uh, yeah, a little oh, bit, my. small patches of it. That's cool. <laughs> The common name for Galteria procumbens is American wintergreen. It's a native evergreen ground cover with bright red berries. Robert mentioned soil acidity. You might remember from chemistry class that acidity is measured on a pH scale from 0 to 14. Everything below 7 is considered to be acidic. In Virginia, acidic oak forests develop naturally from minerals in the soil. Now for our last segment, Peggy and Robert are going to talk about another flowering tree. The tree blooming now into the summer is the catalpa. It's native. It's a North American species that was planted in the grove at Monticello. And there's two types. There's the southern catalpa, which is catalpa bignonioides, and then the northern catalpa, which is catalpa speciosa. The northern one tends to grow more upright and very tall. And the southern one is more low-growing, horizontal to the ground. And that's what we have in the grove. And it has beautiful flowers. They're white. When you look into the throat of the flower, it has some purple spotting. And then later in the season, when they make a seed pot, it looks like a long, tapering brown. It's called a cigar tree. And even in the winter, when it's naked of foliage, those seed pods are showy in their own right. Hanging on the tree. Yeah, yeah. it's a very distinctive look. Yeah, and they can achieve quite a large size. Oh, yeah. The one on the north side of the west lawn must have a trunk diameter of six feet. It's massive. They grow fairly quickly, so that one's probably about 100 years old, but people think it's 500 years old when they see it because it's so big, and it has a lot of character to it, a lot of gnarling lumps and fissures and so forth. It, it's a grand tree. It's one of my favorites on the mountain. That's it for June. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next month. Happy gardening. Thank you.